Welcome back to the Name Unavailable Podcast. My name is Alex and my co-hosts here are... Vic. Jesse. And this week we're going to have a conversation that is pretty much as extremely opinionated. There is no right answer. But it's also not a sensitive topic, so that's pretty good. Yeah. So we're actually going to talk about the differences and our preferences on e-reading versus reading books. Because here, the three of us are very avid readers. Wait, you could read? A little. I could read covers. I have to sound out the syllables. (laughs) So chapter books are hard. Hey, just gives you something to do for longer, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's either that or staring at the wall watching the paint dry. All right, so where do we start with this one, then? Well, I prefer paper books because I think it's a very visceral experience. What do you mean by visceral? Well, it I get to hold the paper book that... It makes it feel like a better reading experience for me. Okay. It's easier to get you into the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier for me to, you know, kind of get in the mindset of sitting down next to the book light or lamp and actually read the book. You know? oh. I mean, no, I completely understand that. What about you, Vic? Yeah, I would I would say that I definitely appreciate just the, the tactile sensation of actually having a physical book in my hands. But I can also definitely understand the argument for practicality with ebooks. Yeah, that's kind of how I am. Like, I love holding a paper book. But, like, I travel a lot with my work. Um, you know, not so much now that COVID, but... Well, actually, I traveled a lot last year. That's a lie. But either way, you know, it's easier for me to take my Kindle and put 10,000 books on it and instead of trying to carry 10,000 books on a plane. True. But then your bookcases become a furniture item in your house and something nice to look at. I will be dead serious. About 90% of the books on my bookshelf I've never read. Yeah, you still need to read that copy of uh, Stranger in a Strange Land I gave you. Yes, I do need to read that. <laughs> that needs to be read. I mean, I wouldn't want to read Java for Dummies either, but... Yeah. Eh, most of those computer books are all reference books. But, you know, it, I don't believe there's anything really wrong with e-reading especially because it does have the advantage of being able to hold a library's worth of books in the ball of your hand exactly that's just why i always found it easier now a lot of the books i'll read on an e-reader a lot of the times i'll get a paper copy too just because i'm extra well at least you know you're supporting the author two ways that yeah that's true you know i and i love doing that you know so sometimes I'll come home and I'll read a chapter in a paper book, and then when I'm on lunch the next day at work, I'll have my Kindle and I'll read the chapter after that. You know, so I I will do both any given day. So how do you guys feel about audiobooks? Audiobooks, I haven't really been able to get into it personally. I am an avid subscriber of Audible, so Audible, if you hear this, sponsor us. Yes, <laughs> please. I I've been a subscriber of Audible for, Audible uh, for probably about a year. I actually recently just killed the subscription because I was just stacking up credits. You know, right now I'm currently in a series where the books are 30 to 40 hours long. So I have, you know, no need to keep stacking up credits. But as soon as I'm caught up, I'll reactivate it. There you go. Yep. 
I mean, my problem with audiobooks is I've never been one to like being read to. I find it very relaxing. Do you? And, you know, if the voice actor is really good, it's really easy to immerse yourself with the content. Yeah. Um, if the voice actor is really bad, I'll stop listening. I don't blame you. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's very easy to have a bad voice actor that just doesn't, you know, for lack of a better term, hard to vibe with. It's hard to listen to robot. That is true. You kind of want more of the ASMR experience with your audiobook, then, would uh, you say? ASMR would probably be a discussion for another time. Maybe but... so. Yes, Daddy. No. <laughs> Th- that is a discussion we can have another time, <laughs> though. Um, no, it's not really that kind of... Because that's more for a relaxation effect. Right. Versus, you know, immersing and feeling like you're in the story. Yeah. Though the one... Um, complaint I do have with audiobooks is it's very easy to zone out, especially if you're listening while you're driving. Mm-hmm. And next thing I know, I have to go back five minutes because I don't have any clue what in the world just happened because I spaced out driving down 255. Well, the same thing happens with paper books, too. Like, you'll get into a <laughs> point of too. reading and you realize you haven't actually read the past paragraph and you're like, crap. Well, there's times where I'll reread the paragraph three or four times before it actually, like, hey, I got it. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. But it's all just part of the experience for me, you know? Yeah. And I'm not, you know, knocking audiobooks, per se, by saying that I can't personally get into it. Yeah, though, they're definitely not for everyone, you know? But I'm, you know, usually keep myself pretty busy. I work, you know, have usually things I work on at home, whether it's coding projects or whatever I'm doing, studying language or what it be, I don't always set aside a lot of time to read. Yeah. So when I'm driving to and from work, which my commutes, you know, totals about an hour, hour and a half, yeah. depending on traffic. It's real easy to that. Like that's my, that's my book time. Yeah. Well, unless you're working from home, then your commute is from bed to your chair, which is five minutes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the times, I start at 8, my alarm clock goes off at 7.55. I get up, I use the bathroom, and I sit down and I sit down at my computer because I turn my computer on as I'm walking by it to go to the bathroom. And it's booted up and I log in and I start running my test I need to do for the day. Hey, yo, can't argue with practicality. Hey, nothing wrong with it. On the topic of books, we decided that we're going to go into a few of our favorite authors. And then we're also, I don't know about these two, but I, I at least have a recommended book from each author in case anyone's interested to try and get into these set authors. Kind of just share what we like, and maybe you can let us know what you like, and we'll have some new reading suggestions for us. Yeah, I don't necessarily have a recommended book, but a recommended series. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, wait, before we get into the author's topic... When it comes to book recommendations, do you recommend series before standalone or standalone before series? I personally, when I ask, I ask for a series. Really? Because I like the full, like, adventure. I feel, because I've read standalone books before, and sometimes I'm just left not feeling satisfied at the end of it. Right. Like, it's just like, mm-hmm. that was short. I want more of said character. But no more of said character exists outside of maybe like a fan fiction, and I ain't about that life. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Vic? 
Honestly, if I'm asking for a recommendation, I go the other way. I like to get just a standalone book that the author's written because it gives you a self-contained example of, you know, what their writing style is like, what kind of genre they're focusing on, how they use that genre to express a point. Yeah, which makes sense because if the author you're asking for a, like a almost like a recommendation from, I will usually use the first book of a series because depending on your author, a lot of times the first book of a series isn't the most exciting. Like That's some of my true. favorite authors, it's a lot of plot setting up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they can't keep you interested during that setup, That's, that's I'm a very not, fair point. I'm not going to keep with it. But you can still do the same thing with a standalone book, except you maybe have five chapters of setup versus 500 pages of setup. So I'm kind of somewhere in the middle of the two camps, right? Author dependent. I will recommend a series if it's good. Or I will recommend a standalone so you can see what their writing style is like. Then that's completely fair. Mm-hmm. Completely valid point. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get into the author recommendations and book recommendations if you two have them. You first, bucko! Me first? Go for it. All right. Well, my first recommendation is an author my grandpa introduced me to a long time ago. And that is Dean Koontz. Classic. Absolutely. Dean Koontz is the one that got me into reading science fiction, but also it had elements of mystery thriller. He's basically, if you don't know who Dean Koontz is, it's basically Discount Stephen King. It's Discount Stephen King, which is more digestible than Stephen King. That, and I'm actually joking, they're both incredible authors. Oh, absolutely. You know. But Stephen King is hard to read. He's very hard to read. I've tried to... I haven't tried to read Stephen King in the past probably 10 years, but I tried actually. I think the latest time was back like my sophomore year of high school. I tried to read the extended version of The Stand, and it was too much for me. It was too much to pick apart. Not to fall too far off Dean Koontz, but if you've ever watched a Quentin Tarantino movie where he time skips all over the place, take that, give it to Stephen King where, you know, Tarantino got it. I spread didn't it know out, that. Spread it out over five books, and add about a thousand more time jumps. Then you have Stephen King. <laughs> then we have the Dark Tower series. <laughs> then we have the Dark Tower. Oh series. my god! Anyways, back to Dean Koontz. Um, yes. Dean Koontz is a he writes books somewhere in the range of eight to eight hundred to a thousand pages. Okay, that's really easy to kind of yeah, and most of them have a science fiction thriller basis. I actually didn't know he did, like, that science fiction thing. I didn't know he did that. Also, an Easter egg for any dog lovers out there, Dean Koontz is a very big dog lover. He will have a dog with the protagonist every single book he's in. And it's normally (laughs) a lab or a golden retriever. (laughs) Good choices. (laughs) But speaking of that, my book recommendation from Dean Koontz is actually Watchers. It is literally about a detective who has his dog, and they go out in the woods to find a monster. I can get behind that. Actually, sounds yeah. I mean, if that seems like straightforward enough to be a like a good simple read, but a good author could do so much with that. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I don't remember exactly how long the book is, even though it's on that shelf right over there. I was just about to ask you: Is it on the shelf back here? Oh, absolutely. I is. might I might pick it up sometime and check it out. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very good book with a good plot twist and i think it's a great introduction to dean coons so who wants to go next 
I'll take next. Okay, cool. And I'm also going to have to give my first spot to an author that kind of holds a special place of nostalgia for me. I'm going to say Brian Jakes is my recommendation. Passed away a couple of years ago, but he was the author of the Redwall series. And that really got me into the whole medieval fantasy world as a genre back when I was, I don't know, nine, ten years old, somewhere around there. Now, did he mainly do, like, fantasy? Was that what he did? Yeah, or? almost all of his work was contained within the saga of that universe that he had built. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else can you tell us about him? Anything else, really? Or is he... Um, honestly, I didn't look too much into him as a person, as an author. I mean, you know, with, with him being from such an early point in my dive into the world of books. Yeah. But... I, I do know that he was an Englishman, remembered uh, a lot of times immediately after World War II. A lot of the characters in his books were designed to exemplify the virtues of his countrymen through those times, you know, facing the adversity that they did and overcoming it in various different ways. It's also worth noting with this in mind, you know, it was, it was written for kids. It's anthropomorphized forest animals. You know, the, the mice, the badgers, the hares, the otters, they're the good guys, and the rats and such are the bad guys. <laughs> Anyone want to read some Orwell? <laughs> <laughs> Orwell for kids, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Orwell was kind of depressing when he looked into That's it. That's very true. And I would say that uh, Mr. Jakes got very far away from that in that regard. You know, a lot of his stories were uplifting, despite the adversity and the turmoil that that world so often faced. If I were to recommend one specific point to jump into that, I would have to go with Martin the Warrior. It's a little more grim than the rest of his setting at large, but personally, I like that. I like the idea of, you know, the, the higher the stakes, the worse the conditions, the greater the triumph as a result. And that book exemplifies that idea to me. Cool. Yeah, that's another book I'll just I'll have to check out sometime. Anyways, for me... Uh, my author is one a lot of people will know. Again, like Vic, it is the author that got me into fantasy. Um, that would be R.A. Salvatore. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's, you know, he's been doing it for a long time. And, I mean, if I'm going to give an example of, like, a book, there's not really a specific book I could tell someone to check out. I would say, you know, start with The Legend of Drist Saga. Which, at this point, spans almost 30 books. 30 books and a few D&D games. The Legend of Drist, there's offshoots with characters that you've seen in that series on their own without, you know, the infamous Dark Elf that everybody knows and loves. Right. On that subject, maybe one of you guys can set the record straight for me. Was his work inspired by the Eberron setting in D&D, or was it the other way around? As far as I know, D&D use is the forgot he create like him and i think some other people created forgotten realms and that that was morphed to D as far as i've understood it but i'm not 100 percent sure okay I, okay i do believe that r.a salvatore began the legend of drift series before eberron began okay although you can tell that he was heavily influenced by og D for yeah like we're talking like version one you know yeah. right first edition yep but yeah i mean there's not a whole lot to say about him. Most people will at least recognize the name. It's just classic fantasy. You know, magic, elves, barbarians, wizards. You know, it's just, it's straightforward. It's not super hard to digest. The books themselves, you know, audiobooks are about 10 hours. 
um, if you're looking at actually picking up a book, probably around 300 pages. I don't know a word count. But they're pretty, you know, they're real easy to digest and understand. Yeah. And I think yep. they're a great point. Like, if you're wanting to get into fiction, it's a really good series saga with really understandable characters that are easy to like and love and get to know. Yeah. Um, so, sticking to the fantasy realm, my second recommendation is a woman named Storm Constantine. Um, she was one of the more highly regarded authors of science fiction romance and she's actually regarded as a lgbtq plus author she actually recently just passed away but her book series have been regarded by those like neil gaiman if you know who that is mm-hmm. um as one of the best science fiction authors of all time my recommendation for her is actually a series because I believe it's actually pretty much all she wrote. She did not write a lot of standalones. Um, I would suggest Raithu. It is a post-apocalyptic world where there is a new race that is an offshoot of humans beginning to take over. They are smarter, stronger, much more beautiful, and they are also, I guess you would call it hermaphroditic in a way. Is it hermaphroditic in a way that they could they could change their sex at will yes like they're they're basically their body anatomy they could change at will they can change their anatomy at will at any given point if one of them wants to feel more feminine they take the feminine role and then their anatomy switches to that and then the other one switches to more masculine but they kind of operate on the principle of they are they not her and him okay very much like we're actually starting to see a lot more of now yeah yeah which is but she wrote these books a decade ago so that's actually pretty interesting it's another one i actually have uh alex's copy of wraithu on my bookshelf back there yep he he let me borrow it like three years ago and i never read it imagine that our whole libraries aren't you (laughs) i i am i think there's some others back there i have from other people's let's see gee I have a copy of The Legend of Nardia, or The Chronicles of Nardia, I got from a buddy in high school. What else is there? I have a Warcraft, uh, World of Warcraft archive I got from a coworker. I have a Java book that I got from a uh, buddy I went to school with. I think I have a copy of Aragon from another buddy of mine. <laughs> Off the top of my head, that's about all I can see back there that is not mine. <laughs> Oh, and I actually have a Harry Potter collection that I got from an old co-worker and never gave them back to her. I'm sorry, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but... On the subject of books that you have borrowed, that kind of leads us into my next author as well. Robert A. Heinlein, one of the founding fathers of the sci-fi genre in the 1950s. Now, the 1950s? I thought sci-fi started back in like the 20s. It did. It did as a genre start a lot earlier than that, but it really took off in the because, yeah, like, so, I think I think of sci-fi starting. I think of like John Carter, right, and Mary Shelley, of course. Yeah, as well. yeah, that's that's another one. Though I think the only one I know from her is what did she do? Dracula, Frankenstein, Frankenstein. Sorry, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bram Stoker was Dracula. Yep. My bad. Yep. But Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> Heinlein and Asimov were kind of the. The power duo in the sci-fi world in the 1950s. They brought the genre to a whole new level, a whole new um, range of exposure. 
and sort of dealing with a lot of concepts that people had never even thought of before. Some good and some very, very bad. I'm going to throw a little caveat in here and say if you are not okay with the idea of eugenics, be careful reading old school sci-fi. Yes, there was definitely a dark period that came about simultaneously with this explosion of the genre, and none of the authors from that time period were immune to its effects. No, it was literally almost all of them, as far as the ones that I know, all kind of had their least dabbled in it. Right, and it's it's unfortunate that that is part of that legacy, but I believe that it is possible to dig in objectively and look at where there are positive ideas separate from that. And that's yeah. Doesn't mean they didn't have something that was good in their in you know in the pile. You gotta find the needle that's right. that kind of like thing. with Heinlein. You know, Starship Troopers was a critique of. I actually didn't know who that's who wrote that. Yes, it was. I, yes, it was. He wrote the book way I, before Verhoeven took the movie and made that. Yeah, it's one of those books that I really want to read because I love the movie. It's nothing but alike. But it's nothing. You've told me that it's yep, nothing it like nothing it. Alike. So it's like, and do I want to? Not to get too far off that subject, but the book is an even more scathing criticism of um, authoritarianism, fascism, and military control of society than the movie was. So, okay, so I'd probably still like it. Anyways, you Alex, would... it looks like you have something you need to say. Well, I do, but just to let you know, if I'm not back next week on this podcast, you're going to know what happened. <laughs> My fellow co-hosts here are very big fans of Starship Troopers. I have never seen it. We might have to do a watch party then. Never seen it. Ever. It yeah, it's it's what we'll have to sit down and watch sometime. It's it's just to me it's a classic. It's got its ashes scenes, but it's just they kind of throw comedy in there and it's just awesome to watch. It's right. pure over the top campy goodness in a sci fi ultraviolent package. It knows it's hammy and it runs with it. Right. Yeah. Well and I'm not saying that I have never intentionally not watched it. I just have never actually watched it because I keep forgetting to watch it. Okay. Okay. That's forgivable. Yeah. But personally, I would say the best book to take Heinlein at, the book that expresses what I think was the pinnacle of his writing, Mm -hmm. would be Stranger in a Strange Land. Which, yes, Jesse. Oh, yes. I have that one on my bookshelf back here, too. Yep. (laughs) Like I said, it comes full circle. But And most of the books I've bought from him are all like all right next to each other. The reason why I would say Stranger is the best place to start is that it, it explores at the greatest level the sci-fi principle of question everything, challenge every notion that we think is correct, and explore it critically. That's pretty much the definition of, like, science. Exactly. I mean, that's at its core, it's question everything. Exactly. Question everything you believe to be true. And, it, and then once you have it figured out, question it again. Yeah, absolutely. And it does do a great job at poking at the idea of, you know, how does a religion begin? Where do its rules come from? And the intricacies of the legal system as it relates to that. And I know that sounds like a really boring read, but it makes it actually interesting. Because it follows the adventures of one man who was the sole survivor and the sole child of an expedition to Mars, who was raised by the native inhabitants of the planet and came back to Earth as the sole inheritor to the planet. 
Hmm. Which commentary yeah. on you know colonization notwithstanding, it makes a very interesting juxtaposition of how his perspective as influenced by Martian culture in that, which is very communitarian, doesn't really jive with humanity as it developed in that particular timeline. And it's it's fascinating to see how it all plays out. Yeah, if you want to read it, it's back there. Yep. Oh, I probably will at some point. Yeah. Uh, was that? Yep. Okay. That's that's what I got for you. Crap, I forgot who to do for my second author. Christopher oh. Paolini. Oh, yeah, that was it. Yep. Get it. <laughs> okay, like Alex said, and I almost have to tie these two as like a top author. Uh, you know, I can't say I like one more than the other. But Christopher Paolini, um, if you don't know what he did, he is the writer of The Inheritance Cycle, Aragon, Eldest, Brisinger, and Inheritance, which the series is named after. It's, again, it's kind of classic high fantasy. You have a fascist king who portrays himself to be a gentle, loving person, but is an iron fist who keeps anyone from doing anything, essentially. Mm -hmm. So basically, the entire premise of Aragon is to overthrow this king who goes by the name Galbatorix. I just, I love the way that he wrote the series. I know Alex wasn't a big fan of it, but... It was it was kind of written for young adults. Yeah, I, and, and I'll let, of course I'll let, let you defend yourself. Okay, I mean I'm not saying anything bad. It's just it wasn't your style. Objectively, he is a good writer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But personally, I just could not get into it. Yeah, and that's fine. I've met other people who kind of had the same feeling with mm -hmm. Paulini's work. But I really recommend, or not recommend, but I see where he pulled ideas from other authors like David Eddings mm -hmm. uh, where like your name has holds power your real name who you are right holds power there's a cool concept that you know basically Chris Pauline created another language that they call the ancient language you learn the name of it by the well actually they learn the name of it the characters of the book by the end of the final book but it's never actually said It'll, it actually just says, you know, they said the word or something, but you never actually see the word, which kind of keeps it a mystery. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the but name basically, of Doctor Who. Essentially, yes. But, but this <laughs> name of this language basically controls everything. Because everything that has been created has a name in this ancient language. And if you know something's true name, you could control it. Which is how the magic works. Mm -hmm. Like, the name for fire is Brisinger. So, you to use fire, you actually say, like, Brisinger, and you can create fire. It's a really cool concept how he did it. I don't know if he got this from David Eddings, but I know it was him and Eddings both had this kind of concept where what you had to do with magic took an equal amount of stamina from you as it would cost to do it physically. I did really like that element. Oh. Which is awesome, because... It actually lets them, you know, take energy from those around them. Mm. Anyways, that's a bit of a tangent. Uh, he kind of, you know, Aragon ends up getting a dragon and blah, 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 blah. Right. You know, they do what they do. I don't want to ruin a whole bunch of it in case someone listens to this and wants to read it if they haven't. But it's an amazing book. I love the series. I highly recommend it if you like high fantasy. I, I definitely should give it another shot. I mean, I, I enjoy fantasy where the rules of magic are very, very worked out. Mm -hmm. It's it's worked out to such an extent it's almost annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but 
that leads me into my final author recommendation for the night. Brandon Sanderson. My pick will play into Jesse's final pick. Yes, it will. Quite a lot, actually. Um, um, Sanderson was the man handpicked by... I don't know her name. Yeah, I can't remember her name either because she has a a pen name and a real name. But she was... He was handpicked by Robert Jordan's wife after he passed away to finish the Wheel of Time series. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, She actually picked him due to a eulogy he wrote on his blog, which was handed to Robert Jordan's wife either before or after the funeral. And then she called Sanderson to have him finish the book series. Which, needless to say... If you don't know who Robert Jordan is or the Wheel of Time series, it's a very giant honor to have that opportunity. That being said, Sanderson works in a way in his books where his magic is worked out to an nth degree. He works it out to where nothing can break the rules of the magic that he works. And it's very, very sharp the way he does it. My recommendation for him is a book I'm currently reading because I'm finally getting the chance because my child has torn up two copies and I bought a third. She tore up two? Yeah, she tore I up she two did copies. The first oh. I, I wanted to put her in a corner for like a good 10, 15 minutes for that one. F in the chat, boys. <laughs> Press F to pay respect. But Warbreaker. Um, it is a standalone novel, which is why I'm actually recommending it to all of you. Because he wrote the Wheel of Time series books 13, 14, and 15. But he also has the Stormlight Archive and uh, the Mistborn series. Which he recommends to get into if you're into high fantasy. Because he is a by-trade high fantasy author. I can't tell you a lot about Warbreaker because I myself have not finished it. But the world operates off of color. And breath. Like literal breath? Like like literal breath. Okay. Um, the less breath you have, the less color you see and you have yourself. The more breath you have, the more color and the more vibrant it is. You cannot steal anyone's breath. It has to be given willingly. Okay. Hmm. And some people in the book called Awakeners, I'm not spoiling anything because it's a pretty early spot in the book where you learn about the ability of Awakening, can actually put their breath into inanimate objects and animate it to do things for them. Ah. (coughs) Sorry. Now, is this a standalone or is it a series? Warbreaker is a standalone. And does, do more of his books operate off the same kind of breath mechanic? Uh, no. They, I believe that Warbreaker was the only one that operated off of that mechanic itself. Because that, that's an interesting mechanic. I need to give that a read because, I mean, I'm in a Facebook group dedicated to magic systems. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, I really like the idea of fantasy being treated in that almost scientific approach in a series. Right. Where there are, you know, definite laws and um, theories that apply. I think that makes it a lot more grounded as a realistic source of power within a setting like that. Yeah. Well, it it makes it more believable to the reader. Exactly. Right. Because that that's something that a lot of novice authors and I I've heard plenty of veteran authors authors say this 
that whenever you have magic in a book, there has to be rules and bounds to it because mm-hmm. the minute it goes off the rails is the minute your entire book goes off the rails. That is true. And it also kind of returns, I think, to the concept of magic being a scientific principle. We don't understand it yet. You know, right, you right. look at the technology we have today, that would have been considered magic 200 years ago. In theory, you could apply the same concept to magic in a fictional setting like that because it makes sense, because it has rules. Right, right. But yeah, I believe that's going to do it for my authors this evening. Vic, what's your last one? I'm going to close this out and say Brian Keene. He's a slightly newer uh, horror author and one of the only writers to legitimately give me just disturbing mental images from his work. I should advise with that in mind, a lot of his stuff is definitely oriented for a mature audience who can handle, you know, the Tarantino, the Eli Roth uh, corner of the film world. <laughs> yeah, it's... I just, I heard Eli Roth and I get chills. Yeah, don't... Don't get it twisted. This man is capable of creating some very demented, very uncomfortable stuff. And unlike both of the other authors that I recommended... The good guys don't always win. But that's, I think, also part of what makes it so fascinating is seeing this, you know, your protagonists, their valiant, endless struggle against all forces of evil that he's created in these settings and coming up short and knowing there was ultimately no way they could have made it out. But it's it's still fascinating to see that element of humanity, that constant struggle encapsulated in his work like that. Yeah. If I had to recommend one book out of his anthology, I would say Urban Gothic. It's kind of a twist on the Monster House um, subgenre. It plays out a lot like a slasher film, and it's just singularly unnerving in some of the ways that he dispatches his <laughs> intrepid heroes. I feel like this is a book that I shouldn't read before I go to bed. No, I would definitely not recommend it. I feel like this is a book I should read before I go to bed. Fair. It's because you're wrong. What? I'm gonna... <laughs> I, will, I will say this. For all of the brilliant psychology that goes into Stephen King's horror, Brian Keene takes that and just goes to the most vile place in your mind with it. And if you enjoy that kind of thing... As Which he does. Yep. If you enjoy the spectacle of something like that, or you enjoy, like I do, you know, just the, the narrative of human struggle trying to overcome things like that, definitely give him a read. He also does have a small se- uh, two-book series, um, The Rising, which is his take on a zombie apocalypse, and holy hell is it good. I know zombies are played out and we're tired of them by now, but zombies that can recall the memories of their human forms, but are utterly possessed by elemental evil and cunning. Oh, now you've got me interested. Yes, because that's not zombies as we know zombies. Exactly. They are intelligent, they are malevolent, they can communicate, and oh man, the protagonists are so... Your heart breaks for them every single time something bad happens. Do and any of these books have a happy ending? None of the three I just recommended do. Okay. Good. 
Spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> Spoilers. Everyone dies. It's like a George R. R. Martin book. <laughs> At some point, I do actually need to read his work on that subject. Me too, but I'm not in a rush to do it. Right. I have a few things on my plate right now. All right, Jesse, you want to take us home? All right, boys, let's do it. Go, go, go. So, like Alex said, my final author, you might be able to guess because of what he said, but it plays right into his, is Robert Jordan. I'm actually just starting book three of the Wheel of Time series, which, if no one knows, it's about a 14-book series with a prequel. So it's like 15, 14 or 15 books, all told. Mm-hmm. And all of them, the best way I know to put it is pretty much all of them are like 30 hours or longer on Audible. So they're just, they're massive. The world is huge. It's hard to describe. Right. I'm in the third book, and I've hardly even scratched the surface of what's going on in this world. It's like, it's been like two books of setup. And it's like, the first three quarters are just like, man, do I really want to continue with this? And then I get to the end and I'm like, whoa! You know, because something ridiculous happens or someone gains some sort of absolute ridiculous power or something. Mad respect for the investment in time that it takes to create a world that massive. It's, I mean, the, the world he created, it's just... And the world, and it's also like he has history written for everything. Mm-hmm. Like events from these books start like 2,000, 3,000 years before what you actually start reading. He's not just telling a story. He's telling a, he's telling an actual account is what it sounds like. Yeah, it's just, it's an entire epic of what's going on in this land. Right. And the magic, and I know we've talked a bit about magic. Right. The magic in it's pretty interesting itself. Um, I'm still kind of getting into it we're still learning a lot and you know none of this will be a spoiler because you pretty much learn it within like the first hour of reading the, the first book there's two halves to what they call the true source mm-hmm. which is what you have to channel you use the true source to actually cast magic there's five like primal elements spirit water earth fire and wind now i've seen this movie where we where we kind of take the book up only women can channel only women can use magic. They're called Aes Sedai. There were male Aes Sedai, but that's a whole other thing you learn rather quickly. But they were they were killed out like 2,000 years hence because what they, the one they called the Dark One, mm-hmm. you know, or Vaelzaman, there's a hundred different names for him, right. had put a tape on the male side of the true sword, which is Sidene. The female half is Sidar. Okay. And what happened is he caused it, he put a tape on the male half and it causes anyone who channels it to gradually go mad and waste away from a wasting sickness. Nice. So they will go mad and they'll start killing everyone. Yeah. The male Aes Sedai went mad and literally called what was called the breaking of the world. They brought down mountains and filled it with ocean. They dried up oceans and raised mountains. They literally cracked the earth crust and created different continents. And, you know, they, they ended up having to hunt down the males and kill them all. And occasionally you do see males who can't channel, but they get captured by the Aes Sedai and gentled, as they call it, which is basically they keep them from ever being able to channel again. They pull the true source out of them. And that's about all That's about all I'll really go into because right. it's just... And that's that's barely touching the surface of anything in the first book. It just keeps going from there. Right, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I actually don't know what else Robert Jordan has written, if he's written anything else. 
I only know the Wheel of Time. I am not familiar with anything else besides the Wheel of Time myself. Uh, I, but, would, I would have to look that up to see. But I completely recommend it. You know, Wheel of Time, Eye of the World is the first book. I will say, it's a slow burn. It took me a while <laughs> to get through. It's But it's a lot of information that you need for the next books to come. I'm in the third book, which is called The Dragon Reborn. And you will learn more about that if you read it. So... If you take anything away from this podcast, albeit... Magic systems are cool. Yes. Yes. But picking up a paperback book or an e-reader, pick an author, pick a book, at the end of the day, read a fucking book. I mean, heck, if anyone listens to this and they're like, I really want to read the Eye of the World, but I don't have the money to buy it, let us know. Get a hold of us on Facebook. I'll send you the book. Yeah. I've read it. I will send you the book. It's They're they're that good. Because in a, we're living in a day and age of everything is coming to us by video or by TV or by whatever have you. And the less books we read, the dumber we get. Even fantasy, it's like you don't have to read, you know, a medical textbook to learn fancy new words. No. You know, there's nothing wrong with reading fantasy. A lot of people, I feel like, kind of, feel like, oh, you're reading fantasy. That's kind of lame, isn't it? Well, especially in a time where most of us are stuck at home, not able to do a whole lot, a good book can take you to a different place sitting in your living room. Yes, it can. And that's actually, I will add on to that. It's like, if you're ever in, like, a dark place mentally and you just want to get away... That's kind of what I've done in the past. Not right now, but in the past, it's like I uh, I did that with the Harry Potter series. I actually became a, a Harry Potter fan much later in life. I was like twenty five. <laughs> I I watched some of the movies growing up, but I enjoyed them. But I actually generally sat down and read them all when I was like twenty five, twenty six. I read the entire series in two weeks. Wow! But it's just like if you need a place to go, sit down with a book. Turn the lights down low. You know, you don't need anything super bright. Just enough to read so you don't strain your eyes. And just go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know. There's hardly anything better than it. Pick up a piece of a compressed tree and hallucinate vividly as you stare at its contents. Please. I beg you. <laughs> I like that description. That's an interesting description. Well, with that, we're going to work on signing off. Um, make sure you find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, on Anchor. Uh, make sure you reach out to us on Facebook. Let us know how we're doing or maybe if there's something you want to hear. Uh, follow us, like our Facebook page. Make sure you share us with a friend because, you know, a friend needs to hear nice things every now and again. But for now, my name is Alex. Vic. Jesse. And we will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Say, Jim. <laughs>